You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Broadcasting from the Blanchestan Center. This is Phoenix FM. The internet is a communications tool used the world over where people can come together to pitch bad movies and share bad. According to the Nerd Index, you should be upside down in a junior high toilet around the clock. This is the Good luck! Tide goes in, tide goes out. Never miss communication. It's over 9,000! My name is Foxy. The balls are in there. Hello everybody, welcome to Nerd to Know Basis. My name is Daryl Connor. this is Phoenix 92.5 FM, nerdtoknowmedia.com and welcome to the show. This week we have a change to our regularly scheduled programming and we're going to bring you two of the best shows, or two of my personal picks, from uh, the Nerd to Know Media archives. So instead of having a normal show when we don't get to record one or whatever, we're going to bring you stuff from our back catalogue of shows. We have... Hours of shows. I think there's something like over 300 shows or something like that that we have over nerdtoknowmedia.com. So, and they're all free. So, if this is your first time checking this out, please go over to nerdtoknowmedia.com where you'll be able to get all these shows for absolutely zero. No money. It's all there. There's also on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all that kind of good stuff there as well. So, please do enjoy the show. And again, if this is your first time checking this out, please do spread the word of the show, Nerd to Know Basis, here on Phoenix 92.5 FM. And of course, NerdToKnowMedia.com Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Game Corner. My name is Keanu Calicorn as always and we have a very special guest this week from Australia. This is Michael Hilliard who is a journalist and podcaster who hosts the very popular Red Line podcast. How are you doing Michael? I'm good, it's great to be here. Excellent. Thank you so much for making the time for this. Are you having a good day? It's been good. Uh, we're just buried in a bunch of stories and, and watching the world, you know, burn around. So uh, it's great to be, you know, showing you with the one time of my week where I get to actually relax and uh, play a bit of games to get away from this crazy planet. Well, I, I, I'm sorry to be a contrarian, but before we get into the fun, relaxing game stuff, I'd love if you could chat a bit more about your podcast work. So tell us about the, the Redline podcast. What is it that you do? So the red line, what we do is we do a big geopolitical deep dive every fortnight. So we get big experts in from, you know, the White House, the CIA, MI6, Downing Street, uh, you know, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, who come in and give uh, their expert opinions on one big subject shaping the news. So whether it's, you know, the Russian hypersonic missile program or, you know, the Libyan civil war, they come in and give their opinions on what's happening, how we got here and where the war's heading. So, uh, yeah, really interesting stuff uh, to be focusing on, on, you know, big stories that we kind of miss in the news. You know, a lot of these big stories, you have 60 seconds on CNN to pitch it, but, mm. you know, we take it a full, you know, hour, hour and a half and really dole out how, you know, a small conflict like, let's say, you know, uh, Yemen is actually absolutely instrumental to the entire region. Mm. 
Well, I mean, that's a very good point because like we won't get too kind of into the weeds on this, but mm. we are, especially amidst the lockdown, we are kind of living in an age where it's very hard not just to find information, but find things to focus on and really kind of dive into because everything moves so fast. Like, Oh, yeah. There's just so many stories every day. I mean, my phone, I wake up, you know, because I have friends who are journalists all around the world and we all, you know, chat about, you know, I have friends who focus on certain areas and I'll wake up with four messages, one crisis in this country, crisis in that country. And it, it's really hard to focus even for someone who has, you know, you know, this is what I do, you know, all the time. I don't know how the average person can keep any sort of idea on uh, all the crazy things going on. That's exactly it. And like you said off the air that you started uh, this podcast six or seven months ago. What was kind of the spark that made you want to do it? So it was very weird. I've been ghostwriting in a bit uh, for quite a while now, but I've been traveling and reporting from these you know places like you know Uzbekistan and Iran and Russia and all these places. I had this weird black book of contacts that were, you know, guys from the Taliban and guys from Russian intelligence and guys from British intelligence and, you know, this weird network of people. Uh, and a friend of mine uh, who runs a couple of radio stations over here was like, look, let's do a show because, you know, it'd be pretty crazy to get, you know, the Taliban's opinion on something. And I'm like, it sounds pretty, it sounds like a weird thing to do. And uh, kicked it off thinking it would be kind of a side project, you know, uh, you know, who cares? It's just going to say I do in my spare time. And, end up gobbling up most of my time uh, and now yeah it <laughs> consumes my every waking moment yes well i don't know any i don't do anything on the kind of global level of that and i still understand how like kind of projects like this can just sort of because the second you start doing this everything in your life sort of starts circumventing into the podcasting do you find like all the time you end up just you know uh, it just every like you wake up in the middle of the night and go oh that you know that's why that country's doing that okay and then you're like writing it down and my poor girlfriend <laughs> will be woken up by me being like oh no, no we got to under- you got to understand serbia will do this if that happens and she go yes honey that's, that's lovely you win and sun and put me back to bed um so. <laughs> well i can't speak for journalism but i can speak for i have done quite a lot of kind of playwriting in the past and i do know that all mm-hmm. the best ideas arrive at roughly between three and four in the morning Yep. My entire office is, uh, it looks like, you know, one of these crazy people's rooms where there's just maps and string everywhere. It's like, it's all connected. This general knows this person and he's had a photo with this person. My whole life has now just become maps, string and small amounts of If you haven't seen it, I must send you the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia thing of Charlie's like kind of meme of all the things on the wall with a cigarette shaking in his hand and all that kind of stuff. Like, that is me. I am the biggest fan of Always Sunny to begin with. And yeah, I, I, Pepe Silva is, I'd love to slot any Pepe Silva references I ever could into anything. Uh, Charlie's energy there is, is just me at every kind of every Thursday afternoon. <laughs> well then, to kind of pivot out of the sort of panic attack stuff, like um, <laughs> we've had a lot of different guests from all over the world kind of talking about their experience of the lockdown and kind of how gaming has helped them kind of cope with that. How have things been? I'm assuming you've been in Australia throughout the past two or three months kind of dealing with this, have you? Yeah, I I flew back in um you know, it was weird. I was in Hong Kong when it first kicked off, you know, when they were reading the stories of, hey, this this thing is, you know, there's some weird disease coming out of China. It was like, oh, that's weird. And then kind of came home and then I went to Malaysia as it all kicked off again. I came home. Australia's been pretty good for it. You know, we're, it's not really, um, we haven't seen the numbers that a lot of places have. Uh, but it's been very odd because obviously all my friends, are, a lot of my friends are journalists who are living in, you know, Kyrgyzstan and Iran, America and the US. And, you know, gaming's been really good to kind of just, you know, we'll sit there and play 
Call of Duty or something and just be playing and, you know, comparing our lockdowns to each other. Um, it's been a really kind of leveling experience for everyone. And like um, you say, you've been talking to journalists all over the world, like kind of, has there been a unifying type of experience? Like, or is it like different strokes, different folks, depending on where everyone is like? Oh, it's, it's huge. I think the biggest, um, the biggest wake up call for me, I was on this US panel show doing uh, a COVID piece and they had this guest on before me and, the, and they asked him, you know, how's COVID going for you? And he was saying, well, me and my wife, we bought up a bunch of guns and we take shifts uh, to make sure we sleep with one person awake. And, you know, if anyone comes to the door, I'm going to shoot them because uh, that's what I'm going to do because I want to defend myself. Uh, and they went to me and said, Michael, you're, you're in Australia, how's COVID going? I went, well, I bought six bottles of vodka. I'm down to four and that's about <laughs> it. Um, so it's, it's incredibly different compared to countries. Uh, over here, the, the whole thing was quite mild because we went, we locked down very early. So uh, yeah, it's, it really is different, different strokes for different folks on this one. I know exactly what you mean because like when I'm not doing this, I work in a bookshop and like mm. we, fortunately, Ireland and Dublin in particular, closed up relatively early kind of late february mm. early march but you saw like you just heard reports of people still kind of going about their day-to-day from like places like the uk and that kind of stuff and like yeah we didn't even do a massive stock up here there was a bit of a run on toilet paper but apart from that it was just kind of staying indoors and that was it like i'm glad to see that kind of where you've been based is can kind of more or less the same like yeah, it was, it was toilet paper just disappeared at the start. And then there was a lot of weird things like our prime minister came out and said that puzzles are now at essential service. Uh, it was very weird. There's you know, so, actually, it, it, I will back up your prime minister on that because the first thing he ran out <laughs> of in the bookshop was jigsaws. Yeah, I, I, I don't doubt. I mean, I, see, I went and bought a jigsaw myself and yeah, no, it's, it's, it was weird the things that you really needed. It was like toilet paper and... and you know, odd things that I never thought would be, you know, uh, you know, I travel to war zones where that's, you know, that is a scarcity, um, but never thought I'd see it in my cozy little place in Australia. <laughs> All right. Well then let's pivot from there into the game. So uh, what game have you been playing the most since the lockdown started then? I mean, I'm, 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 a, I'm a terrible basic person, but I, the game I'm playing most is, is Call of Duty, uh, Modern Warfare and Warzone. I've been playing quite a lot of that because my friends are all playing it. Um, I'm not a huge first-person shooter guy, uh, but, you know, uh, I've officially been called the bullet sponge. Um, and at this point, I spend most of my time acting as they call bait. Um, you know, hey, Michael, head in there and see if there's any enemies so we can clean them up later. It's, it's a tough job, but someone has to do it. Well, yeah, that's... I think the last time I played Warzone, we got towards the end and my orders from, from the friend of mine who's very good at the game was, hey, can you get in the car and honk the horn as many times as you can and cause the most ruckus? and lure these guys out so we can then snipe them off. And that's about as useful as I am at these kind of things. <laughs> okay, so can I just double check because there have been quite a lot of Call of Duty games. When you say Call of Duty Modern Warfare, are we talking like one of the most up-to-date ones or like a PlayStation yep. 2? Like... No, I, I used to play that one quite a lot. You know, that was a... Uh, I actually ended up going, going to Chernobyl just to, you know, because I played that old one so much. Um, but yeah, no, the, the brand new one, the one with all the, you know, and it got so different. I think the last Call of Duty I played was Black Ops 1 before this. And then all of a sudden I come in and there's attachments on your guns and you can name your guns thing and there's people, you know, doing thumbs up to me as they kill me. It's just, it got so much more complicated. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, I think, and this is to show how far back I am on uh, Call of Duty, I lost patience with it back in Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare 2, 
when yeah. fragging was a thing, you killed someone yeah. and they automatically dropped your grenade and they essentially got a free kill for no good reason. Yep, that, it's, uh, I remember it being called martyrdom in memory service. That was um, it, yeah, yeah. And everyone used to use it. Uh, that and the grenade launches that everyone would just like attach to their guns and boom, at the start of the round and you just yeah. end up you know, killing four or five people. Um, but the weirdest thing, one of my best friends is like, he's, he's on, he's uh, currently unemployed at the moment. So he's been playing for sort of eight hours a day mm. and he is just phenomenally good. Like could probably go pro with this thing. So whenever I play by myself, I feel really good about myself because I'm matched with people about my skill <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm pretty good. I'm doing well. And then he, he'll you know, invite me into his server and I just go back from being where I feel comfortable with myself to, being, you know, like a like a duck kicked between people at this point. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean because a few weeks ago we had a lovely chap Neil on who introduced me to this Star Trek Online game, mm. and I started playing it on my own in the single player, and I felt like kind of top of my game. And then I started playing with them who've played for literally ten years, and they've got like yeah. the most advanced ships, and I've got this piddly little escape pod thing trailing behind them. So I know it's very humbling to play with incredible experts. Like, you know, kind of when you kind of are only casual, like. Well, that's the thing. My television is also, like, I bought my television for $50 three years ago. Um, so while these guys are playing on, you know, like these full, you know, beautiful little gaming rigs, I'm playing on my TV with, like, squinting like an old man sitting two <laughs> inches from my television, waiting for, like, is that, a, is, is that a person or is that a car? I can't really tell at this point. I imagine just firing, like, wildly into the air. Oh, like. I, I, I do. I named all my guns Spray and Pray for a good reason. <laughs> and tell me something. Why did you go back to this game now then? Was it just because your friends were playing for the social aspect or was it something else? I think, I think there was two things that brought me to it. It was one that all my friends were playing. And, and the second one, they did this amazing little feature in, in the new Call of Duty that when you kill someone, it turns their mic on for about five seconds. Um, which I love because there's nothing better than shooting someone and hearing this like 10 year old kid scream down the line. Like, <laughs> One more. You know, it's, that's, nothing is more humbling than that. I can have a terrible day at work, but knowing that I've ruined as a six year old today and I'm bullying children is, is the most power I'm going to have that day. I had the reverse experience because uh, I tried the game Fortnite because I do oh, drama yeah. teaching and a lot of like kind of sort of kids on there. And yep. I would play it and I'd go, ah, no. And you just hear all these children's laughter. Like, you know, because you're <laughs> such a new player compared to these experts with llamas and things like. Oh, it, it just boggled them. The other one, all my, a uh, bunch of German, a bunch of like my Russian friends uh, all play this shooter kind of, it's kind of like Fortnite, but what if Fortnite, with, you know, what if the maker of Fortnite had depression for 40 years is Escape from Tarkov. Um, it's the best way I could ever sum it up. <laughs> now, before you uh, get into this, I actually haven't heard of Escape from Tarkov before you mentioned it. So what platform is it on? Where can people find it? It's on, it's, it's weird. It's like only played by like Russians and it's only on this like independent indie game platform. You can't find it on Steam. Uh, and it's only played by like angry Russian teenagers who will all immediately swear at you in Russian. Um, but everyone is brutal. And there's like, you know, it's just, it's, it's like a survival zombie game, except all the other players are Russians and they all have Russian mindsets and they will take it out on you. If you are the English speaking person in the lobby, you will be hunted. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, so you mentioned that you are essentially like a kind of bullet soap for yep. like Call of Duty. Is it your same experience with Escape from Tarkov then? 
Oh, it's far worse because at least, you know, at least some Call of Duty players take pity on me, the Russians. Because um, that's the thing, you know, my, my Russians are right. I, I can speak some good, good Russian, but the, after a few drinks, my Russian goes from a nice Moscow accent to a disgusting, you know, something like, you know, my awful Australian accent comes out. And it just reverberates it, to, you know, like, you know, those sort of uh, old movies where you hear like the person crack the twig and it just reverberates through the whole jungle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as my, my awful Australian accent reverberates through the mics and the servers, you just feel every Russian just dive in and find me. I mu- uh, yeah, I must say, terrifying. I don't mean to be like a red flag to a bull, but I've never heard Russian spoken in an Australian accent. That's a thing of beauty. It's- it's awful. Uh, it really is. Australian accent's awful. It's a butchering of the English language as is, but butchering <laughs> Russian is just a hat on a hat at this point. And what made you seek out this game and indeed stick with it then? That's the thing. Oh, I had a bunch of Russian journalists who were all like, oh, we, we, you know, we, all, we have this game and you should play it and you love it. You know, it's not that hard, they said. And I was like, oh, I trust them. And then I got <laughs> online and I think they just brought me in as a, as a punching bag. It became... You know, you know the, that classic English game. You know the, where they send the the foxes out and they go hunt them. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I am the fox in that game. <laughs> well, at least you're the center of attention in that scenario, I suppose. <laughs> I had PTSD from it, but sure, yeah. <laughs> and tell me something then, like. Um... Because we've, as I've mentioned many times, we've had kind of people on who play games like apocalyptic games and that kind of stuff because mm. they find the extreme levels of it relaxing compared mm. to the lockdown kind of scenario. What is it that draws you into these shooter games? Do you find them relaxing or adrenaline kicking? Like what's, what's your kind of feel for them? I think it's actually the opposite for me. It's the least thinking you have to do all day. You know, I spend my entire time thinking, you know, about, you know, Filipino politics and then to come and just shoot at an eight-year-old who's screaming down the server is kind of <laughs> oddly relaxing um, You know particularly is I'm not very good at the game, but there's just something satisfying about it um, But I used to be a real nut for real-time strategy games and particularly the old uh, like Age of Empires and, uh, and Medieval Total War kind of games um, so this is me kind of getting out and doing first-person shooters for the first time and, uh, and definitely feeling the learning curve there. I know what you mean, though, because I used to play a lot of Age of Empires, Empire at War, that kind of stuff. But when you play shooters, mm. you almost don't have time to think. You just have to kind of no, go I... with whatever it throws at you like. Oh, it's, it's more reaction time more than anything. Um, I mean, the game I used to play ages ago, it's the most obscure game I've never found anyone else who plays it. I think there's like 20 downloads in the world. It was this game called Empire's Dawn of the Modern World. And it was like this Age of Empires ripoff. It was the same creators. But you go from medieval up to World War II. And I think me and my brother have collectively clocked probably 3,000 hours on it. Um, but, you know, I don't think anywhere else in the world knows it. So if any of your listeners know Empire Dawn of the Modern World, please hit me up. I will be your best friend. They will know because we'll put that big flashy image on top of your episode. Like, Good. I hope so. It's Again, it's an obscure game from 2003 that I collectively clocked about 3,000 hours on over the years. I know exactly what you mean, though, because I was a big PC player back in the 90s mm. and 2000s. And a lot of the games I've gone looking for simply don't exist anymore because they come from a sort of cd-rom pre-online era of gaming like mm. yeah you used to come in two cd-roms because it was that old mm. um and it took about you oh, know i remember I, I remember playing it on windows xp if that kind of gives you a hint mm. on how old it is 
um, yeah, it was just this weirdly addictive little game that like, I, I would hate to know how much of the like exact strategies my brother and me have, have learned about it over the years. And it's this such useless knowledge. I forget friends' birthdays all the time, but boy, oh boy, do I know the best strategy to use France in World War One. I. I know. I think my big ones were tactics, which is a weird one. No yeah. one remembers about a pterodactyl that has to lift sheep with a magnet, and <laughs> chaos. Yeah, can't find it anywhere. And Chaos Gate, which is a Warhammer game, which so far as I know still hasn't made it to Steam. But it's so out of date, you can't even play it if you have the CD-ROM. I think it's actually pre-XP at this point. Like, Ooh, wow. But like you were saying, I still remember how the strategies and how to beat the first three levels glued to the back of my head. But uh, like critical moments from like my own daughter's like kind of first year, nothing. If it's yeah. not on Facebook, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of glasses of vodka between now and then. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but, there's so, but, so many little, little games like like Rambo. No, not Rambo. Um, Two Rock, the dinosaur hunter game. I used to play. That I remember that. Yeah, all the time. I think I played the free demo where you get like two levels for free, like a gazillion times when my parents bought it for Christmas one year. But that was it as well. If you were like a kid in the '90s playing games, you would get a demo and you'd be happy with it forever. I think I had oh, the first yeah. level of pod racing and just kept doing that endlessly yep. and didn't get bored. Like, oh, I played so much pod racing, but I played a a like a, a malaysia burn of it mm. so it was like bits and pieces would just disappear all the time it was just like awful like there was one map that they just i think built in terribly you just fall off the map randomly um that and pokemon i played so much pokemon as a kid oh was it like are we talking like a normal version of pokemon or like a malaysian version of pokemon no the normal version i actually played i was a you know i was the guy who took it way too seriously as a, as a primary school kid to the point where people would like, where do you catch Jigglypuff? Well, Michael will know that. And I would be like, well, I can tell you that for, for three chuppa chups. I can tell you where you're going to get that Jigglypuff, eh? It's you want to go to Mount Moon. Because yeah, we had in our school, we had a, a, our school backed onto like a park with a big field. Hmm. And like when Pokemon was the big thing, you would have people who are experts at the card game, people who are experts at the game and yeah. people who are experts at collecting the thing. And people just became such big Pokemon experts so quickly. Mm. Like, Oh, it was, I, I, my Pokemon silver, I think I clocked about a thousand, 1500 hours on that thing. Um, yeah. Like I just spent so much time on it. Um, never, uh, that's the thing. It's now dead. Cause the, there's the old silver cartridges. They all had a battery in them. It all dies. Oh. Um, eventually, which is kind of annoying. But I remember just like booting up and then seeing, so many bad names. Uh, you know, I think I think my right said like how young I was. I think my rival's name was Butthead or something. And I used it's to giggle pretty every time accurate like, for that rival, though. To be fair, it is indeed. But it was always yeah, I always I used to giggle every time. Like Butthead challenged you to a fight. I'm like, oh, 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 got him, boys, got him. <laughs> oh yeah, it's you know what? Actually, I used to give all the Pokemon nicknames, and it scared me off getting a tattoo. Because yep. I'd give a Pokemon a really creative nickname. Three days later, I'd hate it. Yeah, like naming them and all that, after the Beatles or something like that, you know. And then you just you get super attached to certain Pokemon for absolutely no reason. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah. a friend of mine. Seriously, was on the show last week. Like she played, went I think straight from like the Game Boy Advance ones up to like whatever the Switch ones are now, Sword and Shield, mm. and having all these new Pokemon like and trying to keep her old ones at the same time was just too much emotions at once. Like, 
Well, that's the thing. I don't know anything past, I think, Gen 2. So for me, it's like, I can, I can, I'm pretty sure I can probably name the whole first 150 Pokemon, like in sequential numeric order from one to 150. Couldn't tell you anything past about uh, Gen 2 though. Like I have just no knowledge that is uncharted water, new territory to me past Gen 2. I'm exactly the same. I ha- we had the Pokemon Red, Blue, Yellow, Gold, and Silver, and then went yep. no further. Like it's, um, I have a friend of mine, Lisa, runs an up-to-date Pokemon show and talks about all these elaborate Pokemon 495, and it cool. means nothing to me. Even on the Switch, I just got what is effectively a remake of Pokemon Yellow. Like I'm full-on very retro. But I got to ask, since you seemed like you put a lot of hours into it, did you ever finish a Pokedex? Uh, I did. I finished my Pokedex. I even went and forced my poor parents to drive hours away to go to some event where they gave you a Celebi. Um, I made uh, I made my poor parents years ago drive like three hours away to take me to some event where they would give you a Celebi just so I could finish the Pokedex. Um, I was that kind of guy. I mean, I have, I still have, to show my love for Pokemon at the time as a kid, I still have very little feeling in the bottom of my feet because I barefoot walked to the local video rental place in a 42 degree day to go get Pokemon Stadium 2. Um, yeah, like Pokemon was my entire life for about uh, about five years there. Wow, and I got it because I remember reading about the Celebi thing in Pokemon Magazine. Like the only way I got a Mew was like getting one of those like things that hacks the Game Boy cartridge, yeah. which I still have somewhere. But like, yeah, and like you'd never get that nowadays. Nowadays, Celebi with like a digital download or something like that. They made you work mm. really hard for games back in the nineties and two thousands. Like, oh yeah, I had to go all the way down to this shopping mall and stand in queue for a bit, and then answer some questions, and then you hand your cartridge over to a like a, a guy in a, a very tight shirt sitting next to a guy in a very hot Pikachu suit who was probably sweating to death in the Australian heat. Um, and he would hand you back, like, here you go, kid. And then you'd have a celebrate. <laughs> it was it's like, it's saying it out loud now makes absolutely no sense. In yeah. modern- Enjoy your legendary Pokemon vegetable. Uh, off you go, off you. You got your bean sprout. Now go, go play the games. <laughs> All right, we've got uh, two or three minutes left on the clock. So I believe there was uh, one more game you really wanted to talk about. Oh, I mean, the the other game I play quite often with friends and and and, uh, and probably am a terrible person for it is, is Super Smash Brothers. Excellent. And, uh, I used to play the N64 all the time, uh, and then I upgraded to the Wii, and my strategy did not change. I am, you know, that really annoying friend you have who plays Kirby, who just goes up and up and up and up, and then smashes back down as a stone. Um, that was me. That is my only strategy. I stand by it, and I am the king of the B down until I meet a player who plays Pikachu, who does the B down as well, and zaps yeah, me. Yeah, Pikachu has a lot of really fast tackle moves, uh, doesn't he or she? It, yeah, but that's the Pikachu's got fast movement. They've also got, it's got this like you can B down, and it does this lightning bolt that comes from above. So if I'm a Kirby floating above him, he'll wait, do it, and the lightning bolt will hit me before I hit him. Um, so whoever played Pikachu would always just spend his time targeting me uh, and I'd spend the rest of my time just floating around like a pink ball of death uh, I've got to say the last time I played um, Super Smash Bros was actually at a college event with like four or five people and there was just so many flashing lights and stimulus that I couldn't even tell what I was doing until I saw the little player one thing just flash off into the distance 
somewhere yep. miles away. Is that still your experience of it? Some sometimes, but um, the, a lot of bars actually do it here. So a lot of uh, like when I was touring in bands and stuff, a lot of like a lot of the punk venues in, in Australia will have like a, a Nintendo or a Wii or something set up in the venue. So quite often you're like sitting at the back of a, a crowded, dingy you know dive bar, and you're playing. Uh, so Smash Brothers against just random as you meet in the bar. So it's it's a bit more prevalent here um, than a lot I of places. I can only imagine like alcohol plus Wii motion controls creating some wonderful nights and some horrible accidents at the same time. Well, of course. I, th- I, th- I think the best one I ever saw was I was playing Mario Kart with some guy and he pulled his, his cart over to the side of the road, went and got a drink, came back and then was like indicating to come back onto the road. So we kind of had a look around. I was like, man, that is some very safe driving for Mario Kart. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well then, Michael, we are nearly out of time. So is there anything you would like to say on the air before we wrap? No, just it's been an absolute pleasure to be here. And uh, thanks so much for having me. No worries. And uh, you're welcome back on the show anytime you like. Would you mind just plugging your own show just one more time before we stop? So uh, if you want to hear some, you know, very different geopolitics, so very deep dives with Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, the White House and the CIA talking about uh, uh, what's going on in the world, you know, big crash courses on everything you'll need to know about, you know, Venezuela or Nagorno-Karabakh or the Philippines, you can check us out on the Red Line. Uh, we're on Apple, Spotify, uh, you know, all the usual podcast places and online and YouTube as well. So the Red Line podcast uh, and you can listen to me, be you know act smart for about an hour and a half excellent all right then we'll call time on that episode thank you so much michael hilliard and uh this has been the game corner we'll be back the same time next friday thank you for joining us goodbye Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Game Corner. I am Keanu Calcorn, as always, and we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, someone who I'm actually just meeting for the first time. Uh, this is Lucas Agen from the LAN Parties podcast based in Las Vegas. Uh, Lucas, how are you doing? I am doing well. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. No worries. And thank you very much for reaching out because you have been kind of in the podcasting game yourself a fair while, haven't you? I have. You know, LAN parties uh, started in January, but before that I had been a part of a few other podcasts of the year. So something I'm used to and something I love doing. That's fantastic. And so for our kind of generally Irish-based listeners who may not have checked out your podcast, kind of how did you get it started and what's the hook? Yeah, so uh, Land Parties is a video game and esports podcast, and we try and talk to guests who are involved either on the content creation side or the actual making of games. So we've had some voice actors on as well. Uh, So that's kind of our hook to kind of get into their stories. And we started because I'd actually pitched this idea to my boss. I work for the Las Vegas Review Journal, which is a news, news organization out here. And I didn't hear anything back for a couple months. And then one day my boss came by, introduced me to my co-host Ryan and said, I think you guys would do well together. And why don't you get started on that podcast? And we were off and running after that. 
That's mad, but like, isn't that just the funniest thing? Like, you meet, like, certainly we wouldn't have met without the kind of podcasting sphere being a thing. So I'd say it's a great way to meet new people for you, right? Oh, definitely. It's a great way to get to know people. And I just, I just love meeting all these people that, like you said, never would have met before. And just to hear their stories, it's, it's fascinating and a lot of fun. Excellent. And I've got to say, the kind of gamer in me has to ask, you said you've had voice actors on the show. Who have you kind of chatted to so far? So our biggest name is uh, Nolan North. We had on a couple weeks ago. And uh, just in case, if anyone's not familiar, he was the voice of Nathan Drake from the Uncharted series, among others. Yeah, I imagine it's hard to become known as a voice actor since there's no face, but certainly Nolan North is one of the big ones, right? He is, yeah. He's uh, <laughs> he always jokes that he's been in uh, a ton of video games that he tried to take over video games. That's all joke around with. <laughs> but yeah, no, super nice guy, super uh, very genuine, down to earth. So it was it was a lot of fun to talk to him. That's brilliant, and I must say, like, because I've never like kind of had a celebrity like on the par of Nolan North, no disrespect to my previous guests, but like the odd time I've met someone like from Star Trek or something like that at a convention, I have that immediate like, <gasps> don't say the wrong thingness to it. Is that, was that your experience having him on like? It was, I had to prepare myself for about like half an hour just to, to stop myself from, from nerding out on him. He was, <laughs> I did a little bit. I couldn't stop it completely, but I definitely, I, it, I had to prepare a bunch of questions so I didn't lock up. I was, I was ready to try and combat just, just fanboying out too much. <laughs> All right. Well, just for anyone who might be listening to this for the first time, the reason the Game Corner got started was essentially as a way of checking in with people during the lockdown in Dublin and kind of find out what board games and video games they've been playing. We have been grateful enough to actually receive a lot of American interest in the past few weeks, including yourself, Lucas. So how has, kind of, big question, how has the lockdown been for you so far? Has it affected you at all or has it just kind of breezed by you? You know, all things considered, I've been doing pretty well. Uh, I've been lucky enough to be able to work from home. So my hours haven't changed, just the location. Um, I will say it's been a, it, it's been a little weird just because uh, being working for a news organization, I'm used to a lot of that person-to-person interaction. So to have to do a lot of that over emails or online has been different, <laughs> to say the least. But you know, I, I've been keeping healthy, just keeping my time outside to a minimum to basically go grocery shopping and whatnot. Uh, so all things considered, it's been pretty well. I've been lucky enough to stay in contact with friends and family and, and they're all doing pretty well. So been well, been pretty good. That's fantastic. I'm glad to hear that now because uh, certainly so far we've been grateful enough to have someone on from California and someone on from New Jersey and like the experiences they've told us have been totally polarizing, you know. So I'm glad that like some semblance of normality has kind of been maintained for you, at least, even if it's more online, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, that has played a big part in being able to handle this well. You know, I've been working from home for a little while, though, I think since march i want to say is when they started having me work from home i swear the days kind of string together for me <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's 
you know, I've kind of gone into that groove. I have set up my office in a different room than my bedroom to kind of get into work mode, so to speak. So it's it's been kind of those small adjustments and just kind of getting used to the new daily routines. Excellent. Well, then, uh, I suppose with that long introduction, and thank you very much for indulging me, let's move <laughs> on to the games. So what kind of games have you been playing to kind of keep yourself occupied throughout this whole strange season? You know, I'll tell you what, the game that I, I tried for the very first time was I started playing Dungeons & Dragons uh, online, over uh, basically over Discord, mm. and that's been a heck of an experience. It's, uh, like I said, it's a game that I was always interested in trying, but never had that right group to really kind of delve into it, mm. and because so many of us have so much more time. <laughs> uh, it, it seemed like the perfect time to give it a try. And I must say the group I'm with has been amazing. I ask a ton of questions. So bless their hearts. They have to deal with me asking <laughs> a lot because I'm a total newbie to it. But it, it's fascinating and it's a fantastic way to stay connected. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Because so far uh, in our previous episodes, we've had Ray Carney, who was like, one of those like top tier Dungeons and Dragons player who was like managing four different campaigns. We've had Maevon who was just in it for creating her world. And then we had an opera singer on who was just in it to be a dwarf smashing rats and stuff. So <laughs> kind of what's been your Dungeons and Dragons experience? Are you kind of coordinating things or are you following the group? What's been your experience so far? So just following the group and, you know, initially I was actually a little nervous because I didn't know everybody in the group and pretty much everybody else had played before. So I was a little nervous that I'd be slowing the group down too much, but I must say it's been a lot of fun. I'm learning a ton. Hopefully I'm starting to get things down just a little bit. Um, I really enjoyed the crafting of my character kind of backstories and all that kind of stuff. Like I had a lot of fun coming up with backstories and, uh, being able to kind of express yourself in a way that, that you don't get to on a normal basis. And well, then that's a good segue right there. What kind of character did you end up crafting for yourself? Uh, so I'm a half orc and uh, <laughs> I consulted with a friend of mine and he kind of helped me arrive at that and kind of helped me arrive at, at what class to do and what, what weapons and everything. So I came in with a character that was kind of tailor made to be easier for me to kind of slip into and, and get going with this first campaign. Hmm. Yeah. Cause I suppose you don't want to, cause I've known people who've been like, you know, things that can summon owls and like all these complicated things like so i suppose you wouldn't want to kind of reinvent the wheel on your first go around like yeah he's um basically my character plays just like i do in most video games which isn't exactly smart but it's attack first and then ask questions after <laughs> well that kind of lends itself to being an orc doesn't it it does. It really does. So I feel like it's a good fit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I must say, I've only ever played uh, D&D twice. The, my experience of the Orcs is that I played in a small group of three with two players and one kind of dungeon master. And I was like a half-elf kind of druid. So essentially, I was the D&D &D equivalent of like a huckster used car salesman, like really smarmy <laughs> type. And I was paired with a half-orc woman. So we ended up being this weird, like, kind of midnight run double act where, like, I could, like, talk our way into things and I had to stop her from punching people. So have you kind of found your place in your group yet as your character? 
I have. Uh, so the, I guess I was really lucky because my girlfriend uh, came into the group with me. So she's been kind of <laughs> helping ease my nerves and whatnot. <laughs> and so we kind of play off each other a little bit. Uh, she's much more, her character is much more reserved and thinks things through. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little bit of a good, good uh mix there i'm the muscle i guess for lack of a better word and she gets to stop me from doing too much stupid stuff which i mean oh you gotta let your character kind of take you where you go like you know and if you're an orc you gotta go with your impulses like exactly i mean sometimes you just have that urge to want to attack somebody and hey you just gotta do it sometimes sometimes they deserve it I really hope that clip isn't taken out of context 10 years from now. <laughs> Moving swiftly along, uh, you mentioned that you've started introducing your girlfriend to video games off the air. Has that been because of the lockdown or was it kind of for another reason? You know, it's partly because of the lockdown. Um, she had gamed uh, when she was younger, but... Um, our experiences were just different growing up. So I was very much a console gamer and there were a lot of games that I love and adore that she hadn't tried. Mm -hmm. So we had talked about trying to do that. And with the lockdown, it kind of pre presented that opportunity to where we could actually start and dive into that and actually had the time to really sit down and enjoy the games and talk about them. And <laughs> I, I swear she's a trooper because the first game I've started her with is the last of us. <laughs> Yeah, that is sort of the deep end of the gaming sphere, isn't it? It is, and in hindsight, you know, thinking with the lockdown, maybe I should have went with a, a light, more lighthearted game. Yeah, because I, I, the reason I wanted to bring this up is uh, my fiance. I also recently got her into gaming via Nintendo Switch, but I started with, like, Luigi's Mansion. Like, Last of Us is quite heavy by comparison. <laughs> You know, it's funny because I kept telling her about The Last of Us, and that is one of my favorite games of all time. And, you know, I always tell people that was the first game that really hit me that video games could tell a story that was every bit as thrilling and emotional as any movie or any book that I had read. And so <laughs> she was curious because I had talked up this game for so long. And with the sequel, you know, at the time when we started it, it was about to come out. So I was like, this is the perfect time. And <laughs> for better or worse, I was like, let's do it. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. coaster that's yeah. For sure. Well then tell you what, let's back up a bit because on this show, we do have some younger listeners who may or who may not have played it. So in a nutshell, what kind of is the premise of the first last of us game? Yeah, so the world has kind of gone to heck because of a zombie outbreak, uh, an infection of sorts, mm. and your main character has to, the short of it is your main character has to transport a young girl to uh, meet a certain group, and that's all I'll say because there's a lot of twists and turns in there. <laughs> okay, so... Like, it's a zombie survival game, but not in the traditional, like, I say, Resident Evil, that kind of thing. It's a very story-driven, kind of complex narrative. It is, yeah. It's a very grounded game, and it's, uh, it certainly tells an emotional story. So it, it, it's, it is very story-focused. Mm. And why? Because certainly it's a big emotional commitment. What has drawn you to not only come back to playing it, but to introducing it to someone else? You know, I think 
because of the pacing that you really get to know these characters and you really start to form a connection. They're very, um, they're very human characters, which I realize is kind of strange to say, but you know how some stories, the, the main characters seem almost superhuman in, in a sense. And these characters are definitely not. And there's dangers and there's, there's relationships formed and there's trouble. And so you kind of latch onto them and, I just, I don't know, this story just hit me hard the first time I played it. It mm. stuck with me. Um, it's a game that when I talk to new gamers or non-gamers, that is always one of the first games I bring up. And to revisit it, uh, I was kind of curious to see how the story held up. You know, I had mm. just played it the the first playthrough and I hadn't kind of come back really since. So I was kind of curious to see how it, it held up on a second playthrough. Uh, I apologize, by the way, if I'm not sure if you can hear my uh, baby daughter shouting in the next room. Uh, <laughs> if you can hear it, I'm leaving it in and I don't apologize for it. So uh, you bring up a good point about the kind of investment in the characters, but surely with the announcement of The Last of Us 2 and it is out now in the world, it must be a little bittersweet because you want to see them again. But if you're seeing them again, it's nothing nice is going to happen to them, you know? You're right. <laughs> You're exactly right. You know, I was actually torn on The Last of Us 2. For the longest time, I didn't want to see a sequel. Mm. Um, it, there are those, some of those stories where you just kind of want them to leave their story as it happened. Yeah. And for the longest time, I was there. I, that's what I thought, and I didn't want to see them touch these characters you know, sequels tend to, uh, unfairly or not, I have this image that sequels tend to ruin the legacy of whatever you love most. <laughs> yeah, well, funnily enough, on our main Nerd to Know Media podcast, uh, our kind of team captain, Dara, somehow pivots every single conversation into Star Wars. And <laughs> one of the things that we've kind of argued about quite a lot is that people complain that, like, the sequels kind of ruin luke skywalker or whatever's happy ending i won't go into it too much here but there's part of my brain that goes well the story has to continue so conflict has to happen so kind of what do you expect you know right yeah so i i, I will say uh, i'll stay out of the star wars argument there Please, thank you <laughs> but but you know i did kind of get to that point where i accepted this game is getting made whether you wanted to or not mm. so I just kind of tried to pivot toward being excited to spend more time with those characters. I just tried to view it as a positive and it was unexpected. And you know what? Maybe they'll do a great job. And if they do, that's, that's fantastic. And uh, so I tried to pivot to be more positive on the sequel. And I think I arrived there where I was super, super pumped for the sequel by the time it got released. Mm. Yeah. And like, because this is something, I suppose the elephant in the room talking about The Last of Us is that it's come out during like a literal pandemic. I hope that doesn't get us demonetized or whatever. But um, like a few episodes ago, we had an animator named Keith Burnon who said that he loves playing zombie apocalyptic games now because it's incredibly relaxing because it makes real life seem nicer by comparison. Make of that what you will. But my question is, uh, do you find it disconcerting to play a game like The Last of Us in the times we're living in now? 
I do, and it's because of the type of game that it is. You know, if it if The Last of Us were something like a Left 4 Dead, I'm sure I'd be relaxed because Left 4 Dead is just all action all the time, and zombies are just kind of the enemy. Yeah. But since The Last of Us tried to take such a, a grounded, realistic approach to it, it is a little disconcerting because you start to think, oh, hey, we don't have to imagine how the world re- would react to a pandemic. We're seeing that. <laughs> so it's it's a little weird, and I can't play for super long stretches of time. I have to have my counter-programming in there. I have to have other games that I turn to to kind of lighten the mood for sure. Yeah. And, like, that is a valid point as well because, like, gaming is such a big spectrum. Like, some games you play to relax, some games you game to play for, like, the emotional reasons with The Last of Us. But overall, like, what apart from these two examples, what kind of games have you found yourself drawn to? The sort of lighter ones or the heavier ones, like? So mostly lighter ones. Um, I am a huge Pokemon fan. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> some of my earliest gaming memories is playing Pokemon on the Game Boy Color. <laughs> so in my personal gaming history, that's that was the first gaming franchise that I just got obsessed with. And so... Um, for nostalgia's sake, I've turned back to Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu to kind of get my old school yellow version fix. Mm. <laughs> and I do find that super relaxing and it's just as fun as I remember it. Mm. Well, that's just it. Like, um, certainly on our channel, we also have Straight Edda Canto, who is an exclusively Pokemon news podcast. And like, she's been waiting ages and ages and ages for them to do a sort of Pikachu Let's Go version of Pokemon Gold. What games mm-hmm. kind of Pokemon-wise did you grow up with? Yeah, so Pokemon Silver was like my peak. That was right. <laughs> that was like the height of it. And just to give you an idea, not only did I play the games, I was watching the anime, I was seeing the movies, I was collecting the cards. Like I was <laughs> their dream customer, let's just put it that way. <laughs> but Pokemon Gold and Silver was probably my peak so that would be an awesome remake to see them do yeah they did do a sort of remake on the ds but certainly it would be nice with all the kind of features of the switch to really kind of go back to it again you know it would yeah you know and the the switch being as popular as it is would be fun to kind of reintroduce those games to an entire generation of gamers that have not touched those older versions Mm. Exactly. And like, uh, I would be in the exact same boat as you because I was like seven, eight, maybe when Pokemon came out. So I was all on it. I had and still have most of the cards. I got all the teddies. I played gold and silver and then kind of left it behind and came back to it when the switch came out. So yeah, I think there is, I mean, as far as I'm aware, it's the only Pokemon game where you could you get a phone and you can ring up trainers that you've kind of faced off against before and see how they're doing and get an upgrade cuz like that's such a nice feature and like daytime to nighttime gold was like really ahead of its time gold and silver i should say like it was you know and it's funny because people will make fun of the pokemon series a little bit for making really slow changes across mm. the games but if you think back, you're right, Gold and Silver were really forward-thinking, and there were a lot of features there that, that really were ahead of their time. Pokemon doesn't get enough credit sometimes. I know some features, they move at a very, very snail's pace there, mm-hmm. but in a lot of areas, they really do, do find ways to innovate and, and sneak some new features in. 
Yeah, exactly. And like going back to the gold and silver, like it was a complete shock when I played as a kid that you got to a certain point in the game and suddenly you were effectively playing red and blue again. Like you got twice the amount of game for no extra price or like has a, if they released it now, that will be locked behind DLC or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It would, which, by the way, don't get any ideas, Nintendo. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Yes, I know. I've heard. I've had a few people reach out to me complaining that, like, I think Sword and Shield, you can only like trade or battle people if you're on that Nintendo Switch network, which kind of defeats the purpose of Pokemon. You know. <laughs> You're right. But, you know, thinking back to that, you did get a lot of hours of gameplay on that. Mm. And it's a bigger deal when you're a kid, right? When you don't get to buy a a ton of games or uh, you have to kind of pick and choose what games you get. And so any game that like doubles what you get to do is amazing. And it is like a miracle. (laughs) You're right. I would have been the exact same. Like it was just like, you know, you got a game at your birthday, you got a game at Christmas and maybe some unspecified special occasion in between. And you just had to make do for the rest of the year. So if you got a game that was only like two hours long, you were just kind of stuck unless you literally traded your cartridge with someone else in school, you know? Exactly. And or worse yet, you try and convince yourself that a bad game is good just because you're stuck with it and you're trying to, to tell yourself that you're enjoying it. <laughs> Don't say that now. I my two go to games on the PC were Rogue Squadron, which is good, and the Phantom Menace game, which is probably bad, but I milked it for all that it was worth. Like so, you know, that you're right, that relationship is skewed. Maybe if I had like the Steam range that I have now, it would have been different, but nostalgically, that's kind of glued to my brain, you know? Yeah, there are those games that, that I'd never want to revisit because I'm pretty sure they're actually bad, but I have fond <laughs> memories of them. So I'm like, I'm just going to leave them as memories and <laughs> we'll keep the good thoughts in my head. <laughs> You're right, actually. I'm a big Doctor Who fan and one of the Doctor Who's, Peter Capaldi, like they asked him, oh, do you ever go back and watch those Doctor Who's from when you were a kid and he goes no my memory's correct the episodes are wrong or something like that you know what I mean because he he prefers to have it just the way it is with better special effects in his imagination and I think there is kind of a place for that you know it just to be in the time it was in like Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's funny because that's always the danger of all these remakes and remasters, right? I know it's cool to see a lot of these classic games come back, but a lot of those games are classic because of the time period they were released in or because of the circumstances they were released in. And sometimes what made them special back then makes them just another game today, so you kind of lose some of that luster. So you're right. Sometimes it's good to just kind of leave games where they are remember them fondly and and be able to take those positive memories with you excellent well on that very sentimental i must say we are nearly out of time so lucas is there anything you want to say or plug on the air before we wrap well i would probably be yelled at if i didn't plug land parties (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if you guys are gamers uh we'd be honored if you gave us a listen Uh, we we try and ask some interesting questions Uh, you can find us on twitter at land parties pod or myself at lucas agan and that's probably the easiest way Mm. lovely and just to kind of clarify that can they find the land parties on spotify or where's the best place to look you up 
Yeah, so we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those good stuff. Excellent. Okay, well, Lucas, thank you so much for appearing on the show. I hope you had fun. I had a blast. Thank you again. This was such uh, such a blast to be on it. Excellent. And I think we'll definitely have to do a little bit more cross-collaborating uh, in the future because you're great fun to chat to. You got it. I'm all for that. Excellent. Well, then we will call that time on this episode of The Game Corner. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we'll be back this Friday with a new guest, some new games, and a good time as always. Thank you so much. I've been Keanu Calafon. This has been Lucas Agen from Land Parties Podcast. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. All right, so you're listening to the podcast. You're like, hey, I'm not in Ireland. How do I get in touch? Well, TuneIn has you covered. That's how you can check us out live when we're on the radio. Um, you go to TuneIn and download the app, or you can check out the live streams on nairthnomedia.com or phoenix92.5 FM. If you want to get in contact with us, it's very easy. Media everywhere. Media on Twitter. Media Instagram. Media on Twitch. Media at gmail.com if you want to reach out via email. Hope to hear from you soon. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.